Welcome to Beaver Tracks, a damn good podcast, where we bring you inside the world of OSU and share a behind the scenes look of Beaver Nation. I'm Delta Lee, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am our regional admissions advisor for Southern California. And I'm Corey Kimmel, pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm the regional admissions advisor for the Portland metro area. Thanks for joining us today. Corey, I know we say this every episode, but I am so excited for our guest today. So I'm just going to jump right on in. Today we have Dr. Erica Fleischman, who is not only an OSU professor within our College of Earth, Ocean, and Atmospheric Sciences, uh, but is also the director of the OCCRI, which is the Oregon Climate Change Research Institute. Yes, Erica, welcome to the pod. Um, And I have to say, I know you gave us permission to call you Erica, but it just feels weird not using doctor with how impressive you are. Um, So again, thank you for being here, but can you just please introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, my pronouns are she and her. My home program is geography, which is in um, the College of Earth, Ocean and Atmospheric Sciences. I'm also an affiliate faculty member in fish, wildlife and conservation science, which is in the College of Agriculture. Awesome, for sure. And before we jump into the Institute OCCRI, um, we wanted to just touch on you being a professor at OSU. So um, I'm curious, what classes do you teach and do you have any favorites? Uh, So far, I teach one class. I have a relatively light teaching load, which is not uncommon within my college. There are a lot of us who don't teach a lot of classes because we have other obligations. I teach a course on scientific communication of environmental change. Um, I teach that every year and it's becoming a required course for the brand new major in climate science. Um, I also likely will begin teaching a seminar for graduate students on the administrative side of running a research program. Wow, that's really cool. Um, This is a side question, Erica, but how did you get to OSU and becoming a professor? I've been in academia for my career. I have always been in a research position and feel strongly Mm -hmm. about the land grant mission. So when this job um, came open, I applied and was uh, fortunate enough that it seemed like a good fit and and did it. And I moved to OSU just after the pandemic started. So it has been, um, I've just been here a little bit more than two years and it has been really nice to see the university open up and to be able to meet my colleagues, to interact face-to-face with students. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's that's such an interesting time, I think, for anybody to change positions or get a new job. But um, I I was a student at OSU, and campus is just so different when you have everybody here, and there's a hustle and the bustle, and you just, you get to really feel it and feel that energy. So I'm very happy that it's opening up for you. Um, so kind of going off and running back a little bit here, uh, when we speak with OSU advisors and professors, we are just consistently impressed with your work. And I think everybody's just passion for the field um, and for students. So do you have a student that comes to mind that like has made you really proud um, or, you know, someone who like since graduation has just done extremely impressive things and adventures? Yeah, I'm just beginning to take graduate students into my group um, post-pandemic. So I'll have three new students this year, um, all of whom seem terrific. I've been able to work with a number of undergraduates over the past couple of years, some of whom were on campus and um, at least 
two of whom were elsewhere. So doing eCampus or just working elsewhere. And it's been, um, it's been great to work with them. They have different backgrounds, uh, several students who I guess would be called non-traditional. So they maybe went to college for a couple of years immediately after high school, but then had a break where they were doing something else and then have come back to school. And it's, it's really enjoyable for me to see that range of students, both from the people who are fresh out of high school and um, are quite interested in studying in a particular field that maybe have a little bit less life experience and then people who have more diverse life experience and their motivations and interests perhaps are somewhat more developed and somewhat different. Um, but it's great to see this range of students be enthusiastic about what they're doing, be uh, keen on the science and the applications of that science and just see the range of the range of backgrounds that they have, the range of identities that they have. And so it's been really fun to just meet with them and see what they're not all graduated at this point, but just see what they're planning to do next and, and what they can use as a springboard for uh, further, further educational or work opportunities. Totally, yeah. And kind of going off that, speaking of being a student, I'm curious about your trajectory to where you are now. Um, were you always in geography? Were you always kind of interested in climate change? What does that look like for you? My background is ecology. Um, I have always been interested in broadly speaking, nature. And over the past many decades, when one has been interested in those things, there's almost no way that you are not going to get into what is happening with climate change, what is happening with changes in human settlement patterns across the country and across the world, how do those things intersect. So although I'm not, I'm not actually trained in atmospheric science, a lot of what I've done, well, or increasingly what I've done has intersected with many forms of environmental change, climate change, and other things that are going on. So it uh, has felt like a pretty good fit. And fortunately, we have a highly multidisciplinary group of colleagues and university. And so things where I'm not as well grounded in say, why did the heat dome happen? I can talk to colleagues that really understand the physics of it. And then we can couple that with the different types of um, expertise that we have. And, and in the end, have a, have a fairly holistic view of what's happening with climate and its effects on Oregonians. Absolutely, yeah. I also find, you know, with prospective students, folks who are looking at OSU, that tends to be one of the things they're drawn towards is that interdisciplinary mentality, mm -hmm. um, not only with your college and SEALs, but also with Oregon State as a, you know, mm -hmm. a larger research institution. So um, that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, moving on a little bit to your work as a director for OCCRI, I'm wondering if you can just give us an overview of, um, you know, how the Institute came to be and, and what it does. Yeah, we were created by the good graces of the state of Oregon. <laughs> so we were created by the legislature about 15 years ago. We were created in 2007 and we are charged with assessing the state of climate change science. And that's not just the atmospheric physics of it, but the biological aspects and the social aspects and to look at how climate change is affecting the state of Oregon. Um, much of what we do, and that's the human side, that's the, that's the biological side, you name it. So fairly, fairly comprehensive. Um, we are charged with facilitating research. We are charged with working with local governments um, and with providing information to the public. So we really have pieces that touch on uh, charges that are consistent with all the aspects of the land grant mission. 
So we do some hardcore science. We also try to communicate that science to different audiences. We work hand in hand with the state as they are developing climate change assessment strategies and climate change adaptation strategies and work with a variety of public and private entities in the state primarily, but also regionally. Um, nothing stops at a political boundary. And so um, fortunately we have the, the ability to kind of work in areas and with entities and people that are relevant to our to our charge. So we don't stop at the state's boundaries, although most of what we do is um, is focused on Oregonians and their their needs and wishes. Totally, absolutely. And speaking of Oregonians, you mentioned a piece there that I, I don't think I'd ever really thought about is the social aspects of climate change and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff when it comes to our research mentality. So do you have any examples of what your what your institute's tracking when it comes to social aspects of climate change? Yeah, there are a lot. Um, so, for example, we are working, and we have we have a big network. So, when I say we, I mean all <laughs> all the people that we're fortunate to work with and to um, to support directly or indirectly. There has been work by a number of um, a number of groups across Oregon now and across across the country, across the world of um, how people's perceptions of climate change are affected by their personal experiences with extreme climate or with climate-driven natural hazards. So there's been some really interesting work on how people's policy preferences shift as a result of exposure to wildfire smoke, for example. Um, Wildfires are not caused by climate change, but their probability and size and a number of other attributes are affected by climate change. So there's been work with that. There's a lot of social work uh, related to, or social science work related to what populations are disproportionately exposed to climate change. So thinking about who is most vulnerable to wildfire smoke, to to high heat, to extreme cold. There's a lot of work in those areas. Um, There is some work that we're not directly involved with, but just thinking about social relevance of climate change on cognitive function. And so um, how exposure, especially to particulates, um, to, to fine, fine particles like dust or wildfire smoke, how that can affect um, learning and both in, in young children and in adults. Uh, so there are a lot of aspects of climate change that are related to social systems. Wow. <laughs> I feel like Delta and I both had kind of like a light bulb moment there for a second with everything you were talking about. Um, that is extremely fascinating. And I think for myself personally, I just, I grew up in Colorado and growing up entirely, I just was always in a drought and um, I just met a friend who grew up in Florida. So she was like, that was never in my vocabulary. So I think it, that I've never really thought about that social aspect, but like you said, it's so, it's common. It's kind of now that I'm hearing it like, oh, like, duh, that totally makes sense. I just never thought of that before. Um, But Uh, Kind of continuing on about what the Institute does in preparation for this episode, I was clicking all around your website, which has the most beautiful pictures, by the way. I don't know who the photographer is. Mostly mostly Dudley Chelton, who is an emeritus professor who kindly gave us permission to use his fabulous photographs. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. Well, shout out to Dudley because those are, those were amazing. I loved it. Um, I did notice the section on supporting tribal resilience. So Mm -hmm. I was hoping uh, you could just speak a little bit more about your work or just overall um, everyone's work with the Native and Indigenous tribes and populations across the Northwest. Yeah, there's a network of entities across the Northwest that are 
doing their best to support tribal priorities related to climate change and climate change and its intersection with other forms of environmental change. So we collaborate both with um, individual tribes or groups of tribes. We also collaborate with what are sometimes called boundary organizations, which are basically the entities that try to serve a large, um, larger networks of tribes and, um, and entities that work closely with tribes. So we, um, we are often trying to, where, where tribes ask us to provide assistance with evaluating the sensitivity of different elements of their environment and thinking about what is projected in the future. So what types of actions they might wanna consider taking, if any, to try to um, be more resilient to those types of projected changes and their effects. And what um, it can get quite interesting in terms of some of the, the legal intersections of tribal access to particular resources and sort of how that intersects with say the timing of natural events or so it, it's something where our focus is, is on climate change and its effects, but it rapidly intersects with other political issues, with other legal issues, um, questions related to sovereignty and to, um, to cultural identity and quite, quite an array of topics. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Do you, does your team have someone that is like really well versed in like those legal issues and tribal sovereignty so that you can, you know, work with those communities closely together? It, it varies. Um, we have had a tribal liaison in the past who is a tribal member. At this point, we are working closely with some of those boundary organizations that have many tribal members on staff and work hand in hand with, um, basically are, are directly associated with tribal entities. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. And again, that just, I love feeling the synergy and kind of connection between the research that the university is doing and our core values. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's just, again, um, another reason I love Beaver Nation, for sure. Um, <laughs> But kind of getting back to like your specific projects and research, um, do you have any projects that have been your favorite or that have meant the most to you or, or that just kind of come to mind when you think of the cool work that you've done over your career? Well, my career is going to be different than Aukri because I've just been here two years and I'm not as young anymore as I would like to think. You can do um, both, but take it all. Yeah. Well, for Aukri, <laughs> the thing that, um, that I've really, really enjoyed is so we're charged by the legislature with doing every other year doing an evaluation of the state of climate change science and effects of climate change on the state. And that allows us to work with our network to harvest what is emerging in terms of understanding of climate change and what's happening with its effects. So it's an opportunity to work with a, quite a diverse array of people, um, people in, for example, people in government agencies who are thinking about what information they want, they may want to use um, to incorporate into their policymaking. So what areas are kind of primary topics for them right now? Um, it allows us to keep our eyes on what new research is emerging and to think about what people would like to know more about that we just hear about from interacting with the public. So it's a nice way on a fairly regular basis to say what's happening right now, what, what can we pull together and how can we build on what's been known in the past and I initially would have thought two years, nothing's going to happen in two years, but actually a lot happens <laughs> in two years. We'll also sometimes highlight topics that are not necessarily new in the last two years, but there is ongoing um, research and its application. And it's something that we haven't covered in the past and remains relevant. 
Um, so for example, some of the some of the effects of wildfire smoke on public health, where there is a tradition of research, there's also new research emerging and it's coming pretty quickly. I had a follow-up question, but it lost my brain. So if I think of it, I'm gonna ask you a little later, Erica. So again, the research that we're doing is super cool. I think it's um, neat that Ocri, is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm that ACRI is hosted by CEOs at OSU. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean for professionals like you or for OSU students? It means that we are hosted by a terrific land-grant university. ACRI was, um, was not intended to be a wholly owned subsidiary of Oregon State University. That wasn't the legislature's intent. So we have a lot of, um, our network is multi-university. Administratively, we work through Oregon State University so we're, we're at a land-grant university, the education and research and extension or outreach or however you want to think about admissions are really relevant to what we do. Um, it is terrific that to be at, a, at the land-grant university, which has extension, because it's the extension agents, whether it's in forestry or agriculture or health or anything else, that understand what people's needs are around the state, what their interests are, what their priorities are. And so it's a great way for us to be able to reach out to that extension community and say, what are you hearing? What would, what should we be emphasizing? And then it's also really nice to be able to work with that extension network to get relevant information back out to communities, to, um, to professional, to management professionals or health professionals or what have you. So it's terrific to be embedded with an extension. And it's also because we're at a university period um, we're able to interact with students. We're able to do formal teaching. We're able to involve students in, um, in what we're doing into the center's diverse activities. Um, and for all of us to have um, a network of professionals <laughs> that are knowledgeable, excuse me, in different areas. Um, so do students get to help on like projects that Aukri is hosting, even students outside of OSU, since it they is do. kind of a network? Yes, um, undergraduates are, are involved both at OSU and at other universities. We have on-campus and e-campus students involved in what we do. Um, we also have graduate students involved in what we do. Wow, this was amazing. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite place on campus? I know you're probably not on campus a lot. You're probably I am out. actually on campus okay. a lot. Um, well, now I am. For, for the last year, I have been. Um, I have a favorite thing all over campus. I have never in my life seen as many different colors of rhododendrons. And yes. so I like just wandering around and seeing what's flowering and going, I didn't know that they could be three stories tall. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. I didn't know. And next, <laughs> next spring, I want to go wander around campus and just take photographs of all the different colors. Because I, I grew up in a place where they were purple, full stop. I didn't yep. know about this. <laughs> yeah, campus is lovely. I like just wandering around campus. Um, and I like that campus is so well connected to natural areas or open mm-hmm. space nearby. So, you know, you can quite easily walk from campus and go take a several hour walk um, someday, you know, these nice summer days after work. It's really nice. Awesome. Um, okay. Well, before we let you go today, can we get a go beeps? Go beeps. <laughs> go beeps. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you can join us for our next episode of Beaver Traps. It will be a damn good time.